Hey, y'all. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this installment of Go South, Old Man, a somewhat weekly podcast where a northern-born southerner explores some of the lesser-known things in and around the southeastern United States. The topic for this episode is such that, for the first time, I have made the executive decision to split it into two parts, because, well, I can, and more importantly, I think that there really are two intertwined stories about the place we're visiting, the man and his home, and you need to understand the first to really appreciate the second. In another first, I'll make both parts available at the same time, so if you're a glutton for punishment, you can listen to both of them back to back and get the whole story at the same time, if that's your preference. Now, the man in question is Sam Porter Jones, who liked to simply be called Just Plain Sam. I think you'll see, or or I mean you'll hear, that he was not just a plain man any more than his home is just a plain house. So this episode is a little different than my normal ramblings, And as today is more a story about a person of the Southeast than an actual place or event. But I think it needs to be, to explain the place, we're going to talk about that place in the next episode. Now, Sam Porter Jones was born in 1847, down in Southeast Alabama, not far from what would later become Auburn University. His mother died early, and his father remarried, moving the family to be near his new wife's relatives up in Cartersville, Georgia, which is about 45 miles northwest of Atlanta. It would remain his hometown for the rest of his life. With the outbreak of the Civil War, his father and uncles all joined the Confederate Army and swiftly left. When General Sherman launched his Atlanta campaign out of Chattanooga, it put the family farm right in the path of the Union Army assault, as the Strategic Atlantic and Western Railroad ran right through the town. Tradition says that young Sam was left behind to hide the farm animals as his mother fled, with the plan being for him to catch up to her. But... As the story goes, in the confusion of war and a flood of refugees, he was instead swept up to the north, ending up alone on the streets of Nashville, Tennessee, a city that would later figure immensely in his life. He was taken in by a group of occupying soldiers from Kentucky, and he ended up going home back with them and found himself working on a farm up there in Kentucky. Now, whether he was taken to Kentucky by soldiers or he was sent there to be safe from the war, well, that truth has been lost to time. But there is one important thing that happened while he was in Kentucky. There he met a young girl named Laura McClellan, and he fell hard for her and never forgot her. Eventually, they would marry and spend the rest of their lives together. 
But with the end of the war, he returned home to Georgia and was reunited with his parents. His father arranged for him to be tutored by Miss Rebecca Felton, who would later become the first woman U.S. Senator in history. She and her husband would be his tutors until young Sam passed the state bar exam with such high honors that he was considered one of the most promising lawyers in the entire Southeast. However, he failed to find success in the practice of law and in his depression turned to alcohol. By 1872, his life was in shambles. On his deathbed, his father told him point-blank what a heartbreaking disappointment he was and made one last plea for his son to straighten out his life. Taking this to heart with a strong determination to make something of his life, he found himself in an experience at a little backwoods Methodist church. This all combined to lead him to a radical decision he would enter the ministry. Now, having a dubious reputation as the town drunk and no formal theological training, he was made a circuit preacher and given five of the poorest churches in the area. The result was that he and his family were practically on the verge of starvation at times, but he had found his calling. Soon, his plain, straightforward, charismatic, charismatic style of preaching was having an effect. The churches were beginning to grow. By bypassing any deep theological discussion, he would use words and phrases he knew would strike a chord with his audience. One of his most famous exhortations was simply, Quit your meanness. It's a phrase I still hear in Georgia today. He also took up the cause of local orphanages, which were struggling. Now this earned him a wider regional and even national reputation, as well as giving him a more solid financial footing. And he began to be asked to preach at these larger camp meeting type events, which were starting to become popular at this time in the U.S., he was soon becoming friends with some of the most influential religious and political men of his time, including Billy Sunday and President Grover Cleveland. In 1885, he was invited to preach in the city he had visited of his youth, Nashville, Tennessee. But there was trouble brewing. One of the wealthiest, prominent, and notorious characters in that city was Tom Ryman. He owned numerous steamboats on the Cumberland River, where gambling, drinking, and showgirls made him a fortune. However, Jones's anti-alcohol message was a direct threat to this empire. It was on the opening night of the first camp meeting, and Ryman and his henchmen were dispersed throughout the crowd under the huge gathering tent looking to cause trouble. But Jones wasn't a stupid man by any means. He knew that every man had an Achilles heel, 
and he had found out in advance that for Ryman, it was his mama. So that night, he preached on a mother's love. After the service ended, the crowd grew still as Ryman himself approached the slight, plain-smoking man and said, I came here tonight to whip you, but I've been whipped by the word. He then promised that Jones would never again have to preach outside under a tent in the city of Nashville. And it was the start of a lifelong friendship. Ryman proved true to his word, and he built the huge, beautiful Union Gospel Tabernacle and asked Jones to move up there and become the preacher, also offering to build him a great Victorian mansion for him and his large family as part of the deal. Well, Jones was and always considered himself a circuit preacher and evangelist. So he decided to remain at his small two-story house down in Cartersville. Ryman still wanted to gift his new friend. So in a remarkable engineering feat, he had the old house raised and a magnificent Victorian first floor, complete with 12-foot ceilings and beautiful wood carvings, built right under it. And in my next episode... We're going to walk through this architectural wonder. Meanwhile, the Grand Union Gospel Tabernacle, built for Sam Jones to preach in, was renamed the Ryman Auditorium upon Tom's death. It was there and suggested by Jones that it be changed as he preached his eulogy. Today, you can still visit the auditorium up in Nashville, since it's become now known as the home of country music, being the host of the world-famous Grand Ole Opry. One of Jones's greatest challenges, though, came in the city of Cincinnati, Ohio, another wild riverboat town. The city had, in its past, displayed such a hatred for any kind of religious reform that the famous preacher D.L. Moody proclaimed it the graveyard for evangelists. However, Jones's fiery preaching there led to local newspapers describing a revival as, quote, spreading like wildfire, leaving little else to be thought of or spoken about in the city. As a result, the biggest venue that could be found the Cincinnati Music Hall was rented out. It would see standing room only crowds to hear Plain Sam. And it became a watershed event in that city's history. Now, by 1886, Jones had national fame. And he built, from his own money, an open-air, 5,000-seat pavilion called the Tabernacle on 10 acres donated by his hometown, just a few blocks from his home. It was from here that he and other great evangelists of the time would conduct services in late summer every year for the next 20 years. And in these services, it would often swell the population of the small railroad town from 2,000 to over 20,000 people. 
Many believe it would set the template for the camp or tent meetings that would sweep the country in the early 1900s. Unfortunately, today, nothing but a small marker remains of the tabernacle. Sam Jones, however, would go on to become the Billy Graham of his day, and he continually traveled the U.S. and Canada, often by train with his entire family, preaching in big cities like Chicago, New York, and Boston, as well as small towns in between. In 1906, on his way home from Oklahoma, after preaching for several days, he died unexpectedly of an apparent heart attack near Little Rock, Arkansas. America had lost its most celebrated evangelist. 3,000 people met the train when it pulled into his hometown. Thousands more from across the country would later pay their respects at his wake in the state capital at Atlanta. He was buried in the Georgia town that he always called home. Despite a falling out he had with the Methodist church leadership over some theological issues, even they could not deny the achievements of the man, and the great classical revival-style church in Cartersville just completed a year after his death was named in his honor. The Sam Jones Memorial Methodist Church is still an active congregation today. Historians estimate that of all the money Sam Jones made in his entire life, over three quarters of it actually went to build YMCA buildings, churches, tabernacles, and scholarships for both men and women to attend teaching colleges. He also built the Sam Jones Female College at a time when few college opportunities existed for women. In the next episode, we'll look at the amazingly preserved home of the man himself, Roselawn. So, until next time, thanks for listening and stay curious.